Our football team was like the kid that plays second French horn in the school band. We got to play better. That's why I don't read the newspaper. Because it's garbage. He had shoulder surgery on his elbow. Shoulder, shoulder, shoulder surgery on his elbow. All the band is out on the field. He's going to go into the end zone. Well, first of all, what kind of mythical powers does a Sun Devil have? We got to consider that. The kids are playing their tail off, and the coaches are screwing it up. If worms had machine guns, then birds wouldn't be scared of them. Down there, wide open's Gallon. They left him alone. Yeah, I don't know if anybody saw me trip on the way in. Did anybody see that? <laughs> A lesser athlete would have gone down. Good evening, sports fans, and welcome back to First Hand Inches, your authority for all things college football. We are sponsored by Milwaukee Tool, nothing but heavy duty. I'm Kevin Wise, he is Patrick Smith, and we're ready to recap a big week 12. Patrick, how are you? I'm doing great, man. Easy week to be excited about football. We got a lot coming down the stretch. I know you're feeling the anxiety this week. But why don't we talk a little week 12 before we look at week 13? Absolutely. I think that as uh, the theme from over the weekend, we don't want to look ahead too quickly. We want to finish our opponent at hand here, which is the week 12 recap before we get into week 13. Um, And as I just mentioned, we saw a lot of teams doing that. I think if there was one theme for this week, it would be look aheads and um, teams almost getting caught doing it and a couple teams who got caught doing it teams almost quite on the cusp of accomplishing everything they wanted to with the season may have seen things fall apart a little bit we saw a lot of top 10 teams go down two go down we saw i think eight top 25 teams lose quite a few shakeups here right before you know some big college football playoff moments And this phenomenon of looking ahead, obviously, it's kind of difficult to explain. It makes sense in theory. And we'll talk about the teams that have decided that they're basically going to take a mulligan and uh, just play um, basically FCS teams and not have to worry about the look aheads, which is probably unfair. We'll get into all that and more on this week 12 recap. We're going to switch it up, uh, you guys, a little bit this week. Prior, we went by... um, you know, time slate and when we can get the episodes episodes out a little bit earlier on a Sunday, I think that makes sense. However, we're going to go by conference this time. That way people can um, kind of fluidly move through the episode if you want and zoom ahead to your conference. Obviously, since Patrick and I are probably most keyed into the Big Ten conference, we will start there. Let's do it. Um, why don't we start with our boys, Michigan, hosting Illinois and what looked like you know, it looked like it might have been a bigger game a few weeks ago when Illinois um, was putting together a nice string of wins, looking really solid, looking like the driver's seat of the of their division was in their hands. Um, and then kind of fizzled a little bit as the game came up. Illinois struggled a little bit for a couple weeks and 
Michigan, obviously, in a massive look-ahead spot here, like you mentioned, with Ohio State um, staring right down the barrel two weeks away, um, one week after that game. So, yeah, I'm sure Michigan spent a little time here thinking about, prepping about Ohio State. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think you saw that play out in the field as Michigan hosts Illinois and escapes just by the skin of their teeth with a two-point win, 19-17. to 17. Yeah, absolutely. It's hard to look at this game and not think that Michigan was looking ahead here. But I think that for for this one, um, admittedly, you and I are not able to watch every snap of every game. Um, We both have jobs and jobs that are pretty time consuming. But this is one that we obviously did watch. So let's do a very brief, you know, synopsis of this game. Michigan comes out first quarter. Blake Corum rips off a great run. I mean, you know, about 35, um, 40 yarder. Uh, Michigan looks pretty good, marches down the field, puts one in the end zone. Um, able to generate some stops as well. Um, then I think we have to give Illinois credit. Illinois' D really firmed up after that and did a great job of slowing down the Michigan offense. Um, Blake Corum is still getting some yards, but able to basically, you know, keep Michigan out of any kind of scoring territory. Um, shout out to uh, Devin Witherspoon, by the way. Big oh, he name. had a game. If you don't know who this guy is, again, I, I just imagine, especially given not only how physical he was from a defensive back position, he had a great movement, but a great size too. I mean, he looks like a, he looks like a guy who's going to be playing on Sundays. And um, I understand just from listening to my, you know, some of my um, friends from Champaign, Illinois even had some guys out in the secondary. So that that's a real secondary. I think a secondary that. Um, will probably surprise someone in a bowl game because I think they're playing Illinois. Yeah, and just to touch a little more on Witherspoon, I think, I mean, there was a stretch. I I think it was the third quarter where Witherspoon just made three individual plays in a row, Um, you know, came up to the line of scrimmage, made a big tackle, broke a pass up, was right involved in the next play. He just took over the game for a second there and just really demonstrated how much talent he has. I think the NFL is always looking for dudes like Witherspoon who um, not only can cover well, but can step up to the line of scrimmage and make some tackles. And, and man, his hits were hard there. <laughs> he was playing. Yeah, and it, it felt like there were points in the game where because it was kind of a slugfest, he looked like the best player in the field at some points. Now, let's let's kind of fast forward. It's kind of a little bit of a slugfest back and forth. Michigan leading in some yardage, especially with that good first drive. Um, towards the end of the second quarter, when Michigan is driving, um, Blake Corum obviously sustains that um, injury to his knee. Um, a couple thoughts here. Number one, I think that people underestimated a little bit. This really changed the complexion of the game. You know, Blake Corum picked up a big first down in the red zone. Michigan at least in position to get a field goal there, which would have then made it 10 to 3. And although that doesn't sound like a big score in one of these games, it is such a slugfest. 10 to 3 or even 14 to 3 really seems like a much bigger lead. Gets hit in the knee, um, looks pretty serious, fumbles the ball at the same time as he goes to grab his knee. It's recovered by Illinois. That was a big momentum shift, as well as, you know what I mean, your Heisman caliber player being down. Yeah, and I I think that lost in the whole moment of that injury where I think, you know, you, me, and most Michigan fans across the country immediately had their mind go to that game next week against Ohio State. Um, and his availability for that. But I think in that moment, the most important thing was we turned the ball over in Illinois territory. Your Heisman candidate running back goes out for 
functionally the rest of the game. You're down your electric backup running back. And then you're looking at an offense running with two completely untested running backs where your offensive scheme is trying to move the ball on the ground almost at all times. Um, And that really put this Illinois game in jeopardy in a hurry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And, you know, uh, basically from then on out, uh, Illinois did have some success with Chase Chase Brown running the ball. He's a great player, um, regardless of the program he's at. I don't think anybody would would deny that. One of the best running backs in the country. Made more plays down the stretch than Michigan did. Michigan kind of anemic um, moving the ball. One thing I want to mention, though, um, I did actually think, especially in early in the game, that J.J. McCarthy didn't have as bad of a game as what people are led to believe. If you check his stat line and read a lot of these papers, you'll see that. But huge drops, huge, huge drops the whole game, kind of hitting guys right right in the hands. Obviously made some bl- bad plays himself. Um, but actually, you know, the one big drop would be that questionable um, fourth down to – Andrell Anthony, when um, basically uh, it was a fourth and short, one of the uh, players on Illinois looked like they were probably offsides, snap the ball, don't get the flag. So he goes deep thinking he kind of has a free play. Andrell Anthony's in double coverage. However, this is one time when JJ goes deep and the ball is right on the money in between both defenders and he just hits him in the hands and he drops the ball. Yeah, uh, you know, ended up having... I think more thoughts about this game than I thought I would going into it just because of how the game played out. So, you know, I think what makes sense is I'll kind of go one side of the ball to the other. You kind of touched on a couple things for Michigan's offense. Um, I agree. I thought JJ didn't look too bad in the first half in comparison to the numbers he was able to put up and the way Michigan was able to move the ball. And I don't think he looked terrible in the second half either. This is a game where, you know, J.J. didn't get bailed out a single time by his wide receivers. He put the ball in winnable spots for Michigan, you know, consistently throughout this game. There's a couple big plays that I think J.J. definitely missed and shows that he's just, you know, still a couple big steps away from being that guy. The one that pops to my head immediately is um, this was in the second half. J.J.'s rolling right, has Isaiah Gash cutting across to the right on the short route, but then has Loveland wide open in the end zone. Uh, JJ goes to Gash kind of near the first down. Unfortunate play for Gash. Gash drops the ball on that one. Um, Michigan has to give the ball back to Illinois. Um, but on that play, when you saw the behind the quarterback view on the replay, Loveland is streaking wide open in the end zone. So JJ has some stuff to work on, some stuff to clean up, but I don't think this was a terrible game. I think this falls more on Michigan's anemic passing attack and our wide receivers on inability to kind of make game changing plays up to what I think and what appears to be their talent level. Um, Other things for Michigan, the, you know, the run game and, you know, Michigan's identity in this game just got crushed by the fact that both of their starting running backs were unavailable for most of this game. Um, It's, you know, it's tough to do what Michigan wants to do without those two guys. They turn to CJ Stokes and Isaiah Gash, who are both guys with basically zero experience both flash some ability and, you know, could be good players down the stretch, but they're just so green. Um, Shout out Isaiah Gash making a huge play after that big drop earlier in the game. He makes that huge fourth down conversion. 
um, to keep Michigan moving the ball and set them up for a field goal that was much needed, obviously. Um, so huge play for him in his young career. Must be super exciting for his family and for him to just make a huge play in that big of a spot. I uh, have to put a little bit of an asterisk on that play because, uh, you know, we, we like to be a little unbiased. That was a clear pick play offensive pass interference for Michigan on that fourth down. <laughs> We're blocking like seven, eight yards past the line of scrimmage. Uh, I thought that Illinois deserves to be upset about that one because that is was a game-winning play, basically. And, yeah, I think there was a pretty clear offensive pass interference there. Uh, Kev, any other thoughts on offense? That was most of it. Uh, I agree with basically everything you said. Um, you know, I I hate blaming the refs in general. Um, obviously, you know, you can say that's a homer call for me because it benefited us on that play, which by the way, I agree with, I, I agree with Brett Bielema. I will always be in favor of if there's a rule, then you got to call it. And if you don't want to call it, just don't make it a rule anymore because it seems like, you know, let's not forget that's how LSU beat Bama. That was the game winning play. And do I understand that maybe you sell it a little bit better and you, you really do a pick where it's a, it's a crossing route and the guy you know, uh, who's on the outside comes across a little bit more instead of straight blocking. Yeah, absolutely. And there are degrees. And this one looked pretty blatant. I'm not going to defend it. I'm not going to say it didn't. However, again, on Michigan's fourth down, was that guy offsides? Sure looked to me like he was, you know. So you one, was the pick play more egregious and was it more influential given the time of the game? Absolutely. And I think he has the right to be upset about that. However, I think that in any of these games, it's like if you really thought you were definitively the better team, you could have you could have put someone away. Um, so I, in general, don't like to blame the refs. I think those are just some general points. Um, if you want the rule changed, uh, either call it or change the rule. That's my opinion. Like, yeah, don't, I mean, I... don't, do, don't do this ambiguous thing because then you put the refs in a weird spot where at the same time, if I'm if I'm a Michigan fan, I still would have been mad that that's called because I'm like, wow, I watch all the time people make game winning two point conversions that use this play. So either get it, you know, change the rule book or get it out of the game. One of the two final thought on Michigan. I've been saying this. It's funny. If you know, if you know, Patrick and I outside of the podcast, you know, we're always talking football. One of the arguments we had, um, you know, a couple of years ago is who is the single most important player outside of the quarterback. I think Patrick went with left tackle. I went with place kicker. This is why this is why, because I, I think that in big games, when you have that game, when you have a guy that you can trust and you can trust them multiple times, and I think this is a big factor even going into the Ohio State game, you know, like I feel pretty good if we're down two and we had need a 52-yard field goal, we've got a good shot because we have arguably the best kicker in the country, and that's a weapon. And, you know, today, the game for us. 100%. I mean, crazy good game for Jake Moody. He's going to win it again. The Lou Garza, is that the name of the award? Yeah. Uh, like I think he is out in front for that award. Dude has been unreal this season. I mean, as a Michigan fan, it hurts that we kicked four second half field goals in this game. That sucks. That can't happen. Um, but Moody is a freaking legend, like unreal game balled out has won Michigan game after game after game fun fact he said that this was his first ever in his life game winning field goal doesn't feel anything like that feels like dude has been winning games for us forever yeah so um you know in a, in a close game obviously we know that 
We'll talk more in our, in our next show in a couple of days yeah. here about the preview. But you know, what's the recipe? What's the recipe for an upset? Turnovers and special teams. So, you yeah. know, it, it feel it feels good to have a guy like that on your side, um, considering special teams. Yeah, and I know we don't want to talk too much about Michigan. I think I just got a couple other quick things, yeah, and we'll sure. move on to uh, the rest of the college football landscape. But um, you know, I think one of the my biggest takeaway from this game is almost like a non takeaway. It's like if Michigan has to play with the same personnel and in the same type of game next week against Ohio State. Yeah, we're going to lose. But if Michigan has either Donovan Edwards or Blake Corum near healthy, like I don't think what they were able to do against Illinois means a lot. They we became really one-dimensional Michigan did. It it just I think this could look a lot different next week depending on who's healthy. And we'll obviously touch a little more on this as the injury stuff develops and as we get a chance to talk Michigan-Ohio State in more detail. Um, I don't think we should move on without um, talking about one individual and one uh, team. Um, For Michigan, Blake – oh, Blake isn't his first name. Who Loveland. What's Loveland's first name? Colston. Colston Loveland. Colston or Colston, one of the two. Uh, sorry, Loveland, uh, you deserve to get your first name, right? Um, absolutely balled out in this game, flashed so much talent. Um, just doing it in big moments as a freshman is crazy. He has all the talent in the world. He showed that he can be a major threat in the passing game. He's beating every dude that covered him in this game on his routes, um, and making plays on the ball and looking a little experienced out there. I was very impressed with him. Um, and I love Michigan's tight end room as a whole. Just so many dudes in that room. Um, and then lastly, like Illinois deserves a lot of credit in this game. They outplayed Michigan uh, to some extent, especially in that second half. Very, very close to a major win for their program and a huge upset of Michigan. Uh, they played incredible defense, just lacked a touch of offense to win this game. But um, seriously, total coin flip game. Moody misses one long field goal and Michigan loses to Illinois. Um, so I, I came away quite impressed with what Illinois was able to do in this game, especially on the defensive side. Yeah, absolutely. And we we can talk, you know, Illinois football here just for a second. And when, when you look back through Illinois season, it really feels like the turning point was losing that game, you know, November 5th at home against Michigan State. Um, you know, before that game, seven and one, just covered against Nebraska in control of the Big Ten West, basically feeling like, hey, you know, we feeling like they probably are shooing to have two shots at a big win, a shot at Michigan, which is going to be at home, but then probably a shot at Michigan or Ohio State in the Big Ten title game. Um, all of a sudden, you drop it at home to Michigan State, which is a weird spot. Michigan State's coming off a rivalry game, which sometimes can fire them up, obviously. And Michigan State still has some talented players, even though they've clearly underperformed this season. Um, you know, after that, then they go uh, lose at home against Purdue. Obviously, not as poor of a result as Michigan State, but you know you, you would hope that they could take care of business there. And the slide continues lo- losing at Michigan, which is more of an expected result. So, um, I think that Illinois might still be the class of the Big Ten West. Just looking at combination of I thought um I thought their quarterback looked pretty good Chase Brown's obviously a player they have the guys on defense and then finally they have a proven coach I mean Brett Bielma is a proven entity especially in the Big Ten West he can win games there 
And I think totally agree. I think he's got to be close to, I would still put him up there for big 10 coach of the year, especially if they make it to the title game. If they somehow, you know, the scenarios they need Iowa to lose Purdue to lose and them to win um, for them to get in. But if they do get in, I think he should win big 10 coach of the year. I think he's done a great job. Totally agree. Um, and you know, this game, the way it plays out, Michigan survives and you have the collision course that we've been looking about, thinking about talking about all season. Uh, the game will be the game that it was billed uh, because Ohio State also got the job done. Ohio State went on the road. Let's talk about their game against Maryland. Uh, Ohio State, not a terribly dissimilar game from what Michigan dealt with with Illinois. I think there was probably a little nervous. It was a little squeaky bum time in Columbus as well. Um, Ohio State down at half in this one but uh, has enough firepower in the second half, goes on the road, beats Maryland 43-30 to 30 was your final score. Put a little asterisk on those who didn't watch the last minutes of this game play out with nine seconds left. This game was Ohio State 36, Maryland 30. You get the strip sack fumble as Maryland's trying to come back in the last seconds, um, and that's why this was a 13-point win. Uh, but Kevin, what did you think out of this one? Uh, uh, you know, another fun game to watch. Interesting. Felt close at times. What did you take away? Yeah. So I'll be honest. Actually, I'll actually challenge you on that a little bit. I think that um, you know I try to be as non-biased and and, hypocr- and non-hypocritical as possible. Um, I thought Ohio State just looked a lot better than Michigan did today. Um, I think again, when you are playing in conference on the road, it, that is it. That's a huge deal. And especially in a look-ahead spot, when you're on the road, it's I think it's much easier to drop that game. So did Ohio State come out a little sleepy, I'll call it? Yeah, sure. Um, but, you know, the way the games were similar was that both teams on offense were not able to execute the way they normally do. Michigan normally can run, run it on your throat. They're unable to do that. Ohio State normally has, you know, three, four, five, sometimes even six passing touchdowns um, to their big play wide receivers. That didn't happen in this game. The difference to me was that, man, did Ohio State have their depth show up. And that's yep. and that's where I think that we talk about programs overall, why Ohio State is still on a different tier than Michigan is in terms of an overall program, is that you saw when Michigan needed to plug in their third running back, what happened? behind one of the nation's best offensive lines not much and then you saw what happened when ohio state brought in their third string running back and the kid a whole lot more yeah and it looks like the guy could be you know like a second team all big 10 running back right now now i get it small sample size maryland's probably better on the back end as a coverage team which probably played into the fact that they could slot on the passing game a little bit but ohio state showed that depth plus versatility on offense and saying oh okay so you're gonna stop us from throwing it deep well guess what we have a freshman who's gonna go for 150 yards three touchdowns all in the second half and I was I was just extremely impressed by him I I thought he looked great um you know we we remember the game when we played Maryland. Maryland's a good team. I oh, yeah. thought Mar- I thought Maryland was going to be closer to 8 wins right now in this season. I think we had talked about that. I thought Maryland um Maryland and Penn State were going to be a little bit closer in their final spot gap. Maryland um, impressed me against Michigan and impressed me again here. Yeah, and it's weird. It's almost like under Loxley that this Maryland team 
has had like this change of um um performance where no you know the old Maryland teams would um just show up against the teams they should beat you know what I mean they'll yep. take it they'll take yep. it northwestern they'll beat up on Rutgers um all of a sudden it's like Maryland you got to you got to make sure they don't drop a couple that they shouldn't but then it's like you know they go in space jam locker room drink the secret stuff and against Michigan and Ohio State had had a decent game. I never really thought the game was in doubt. I'll be honest. You know, Ohio State was going to get this one. Where the Michigan one made me nervous. But then you can look at the Penn State game and say, "Wow, I mean, Maryland was not even competitive against Penn State." To me, that says more about Penn State. You know how I feel. I think Penn State is one of the ten best teams in the country, and they just don't get any respect. But that was my big takeaway. Um, was that Ohio State? It made me more confident in Ohio State coming up in this weekend just because it shows that they still have they are still just in that restock mode where like guy goes down you know like oh smith and jigba remember him remember when he was the best wide receiver in the country what were they going to do oh i'll tell you what they're going to do they're going to go get the next three best wide receivers in the country and they're just going to put them in on the route tree and they're going to score a bunch of touchdowns so that's what yeah. that's what i learned is ohio state reloads yeah i mean don't get me wrong uh i, I thought there were some similarities here but i i definitely believe that Michigan had a worse performance than Ohio State did um, in their week 12. But I I do disagree with you on a little bit of it. I mean, I I do see what you saw in their depth. I am also impressed with their depth. I think from a program standpoint, their depth will continue to help them next season and the season after that. But strictly looking at this season and what they can do next week, in the Big Ten Championship, potentially, and in the college football playoff, potentially, I don't think I came away feeling better about Ohio State after this game. Um, Ohio State struggled in the first half to get things going. I think both teams did. It was kind of just a rocky, shaky start. But even when they got things going in the second half, I don't think Ohio State's offense looked unstoppable the way I think it should be. And also the way that it is sometimes built. You know, you think Ohio State, you think C.J. Stroud, Heisman favorite now. You think those ridiculous room of wide receivers, big plays beating you throughout the game. I don't know. They weren't really able to be that version of Ohio State in this game. Um, And they kind of struggled to get to the point where this game was comfortable. Um, I get it. We both agree Maryland is a good football team. This is a good football team on the road in the Big Ten. Very tough win. A look-ahead spot, too. Um, But I think what would make me walk away from this game feeling better about Ohio State's chances throughout the rest of the season would have been if they were able to do what they wanted to in this game. And it took them a long time to be able to get there. Uh, Agree with you. Their running back room is insane. Uh, The fact that Hayden can come in and look that good is crazy. Uh, He looked great in this game. Um, It's going to be really interesting to see what they do with that running back room. I'll save a little bit of this for the preview, but they've got three guys that all potentially could be healthy, all potentially could get some work. Um, It'll be interesting to see if they go hot hand or who gets the most carries moving forward. Um, But they clearly have some like three guys um, that could all get um, heavy work. Um, Day mentioned uh, in one of his press conferences after the game, looking forward to getting a couple guys back. So I think, you know, at least in theory, all those guys have the potential to be back for next week. 
Um, and then, you know, at the end of the day, I think, you know, Ohio State got it done. Um, they, they moved forward. They won on the road in a tough spot. Um, but with the amount of talent that is littered through that Ohio State roster, I don't think 10 points in the first half can make me feel better about them moving forward. Yeah, I, I agree. The first half was disappointing. I just, I still do think, like you said, look ahead on the road. You can start a little bit slow. If I had to point to one thing that would make me, you know, I think the passing game will be fine. I think that the precipitation will probably play a bigger role in the pass game than this last game did. I think their passing attack will be just fine. They have a body of work, right? Teams do have these one-offs, so they don't look great. But I think the thing that Hayden doesn't, I haven't, maybe I just haven't seen it because I haven't seen a ton from, from him yet. The thing that Travion Henderson specifically gives them, and I was very high on him coming into the year. I really thought, I thought that he was, CJ Stroud was getting all this attention. I was like, dude, Travion Henderson might be the best player on that team. He's an absolute stud. What he gave them that they don't have with the other guys is that home run potential. You know, Travion Henderson has that crazy, like ultra 1%, uh, you know, elite burst where he can take it 90 yards on any play. Those other guys just don't have that. And when you're playing a big game, again, it's these it's these game changing plays. So I think if you're a Ohio State fan, you you obviously like what you've seen from Hayden, but you really want Travion Henderson back for, you know, that potential of. He's the guy who, even if he's had, like in this game, I think they stopped going to him because he wasn't healthy. Um, but if he is, I just think that even when he has, you know, 11 carries, 19 yards, he might then have 12 carries for 100 yards because he breaks off an 80 yarder. So I yeah. think they are missing that element. Yeah. I mean, I the one thing here is, so Ohio State, you know, It just doesn't feel like they have that gear to me. You know, in years past, they had this gear where, you know, you might catch them for a minute, but all of a sudden they're going to drop 24 on you in like 11 minutes of gameplay. Just big play after big play after big play, and then you're out of it. I know you remember some of the games last year where we got hyped up to watch a big game. Um, I think it might have been Ohio State-Michigan State last year. And just like the first quarter, Ohio State's got 21. And it's 21-0 or something like that. Um, It doesn't seem like this team has that this year against any reasonable opponent. And so that's why I came out of this game feeling like Ohio State is more beatable. Yeah, I think their depth is crazy. But I just don't think they max out at that same gear that some of those past teams have had. And I feel like they're more... You know, Ohio State's the measuring stick by which every team in the Big Ten is measured, and it just feels like that measuring stick this year is just a little lower, a little more achievable for the rest of the teams around them. Sure. I I would say that um, specifically the passing attack and maybe the running attack because Henderson was healthy, um, maybe I was a little more afraid of the offense last year. I think the real question is the improvement by the defense and if if that's enough because I think that this defense for Ohio State is unquestionably better than it was last year definitely and does the defense have enough to bend and not break slow the people down make Jake Moody come out a couple times you know and enough to get a win but I think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves we will have a full we'll have a full recap we're gonna have some Buckeyes or at least a Buckeye on to keep us in check on our next episode um 
But yeah, again, we're starting to do a little look ahead and we don't want to lose this episode. All right. So uh, why don't we wrap out the Big Ten? Um, let me give you two other games that were at least somewhat meaningful. We got Penn State going on the road to Rutgers, 55-10, to 10, getting a huge win there. Um, and then elsewhere in East Lansing, Indiana goes on the road to Michigan State, edges them in overtime, 39-31. to 31. Any takeaways from either of those two games before we move on? Yeah, is is Rutgers a great team? No, but again, on the road, huge win. Um, I just think I just think Penn State is one of the most underrated teams in the country, and there is no other division where the top two teams in that division have no losses. There's no other division. There's no other division in the country where the top two teams only have one loss. They all at least have two losses. So I just think it, it's unfortunate for Penn State that right now, you know, you run into Michigan and Ohio State and you get, who knows, maybe Penn State would have beat Michigan if they played them at home, you know. They played Ohio State pretty tough at home. They had to go to the big house where, yeah, I mean, they got absolutely boat raced, but that that's just, that's how it it shook out. Um, when I talk about Michigan State, Indiana, it's it's just hard to know with everything happening with the Michigan state program. I still think they have talent. I still think they have obviously talented players. They have some NFL guys. It's hard to have a, a real like referendum on like Mel Tucker as a coach in this season. Cause there's so much swirling around with what's going on. You don't want to lose to Indiana, but um, it's hard to really take anything away from that besides a disappointing result. Yeah. Penn State looked great. Penn State's a better football team than they get credit for. You and I have moaned throughout the years about the unfortunate situation that Jim Harbaugh and Michigan were in, where they just existed at a time where Ohio State was at historic levels of dominance in the Big Ten. And to even impede that, you have to be elite. And Michigan and Penn State weren't and Penn State isn't there right now Michigan has maybe put themselves in the conversation a little more you know I'm still not comparing program to program on the same level but the past two years it has felt like Michigan was near the same level Penn State still has a little way to go um, but man they they are a really good football team and you're right you know the home and away splits in the Big Ten just seem to be really important um, and you have to put it together in a year where the games fall the right way and you can win your games on the road and you have to perform at home. And Penn State is just in a division right now where Michigan and Ohio State are doing that so well and they're just not quite at that level, but they're close. Um, and so, you know, as a two-loss team, it's kind of strange that they aren't getting the credit um, that other two-loss teams are getting. Uh, but we'll talk about a, that a little bit more in the rankings and then, uh, yeah, Michigan State, this is just a tough loss. You know, again, you're at home. Uh, you're, you're looking ahead, trying to make a bowl game. Uh, you do your job against Indiana. You're probably, you know, you're there. Um, you got six wins. You're moving on to a bowl game. And now Michigan State's in a little bit of trouble staring down, like we talked about, a really good Penn State next uh, Penn State team next weekend. And, yeah, you know, it's a real bummer that you you dropped that one to Indiana and you probably cost yourself a bowl game. Um, Mel Tucker, you know, you got to say looking a little suspect at this point. You know, I, I get what you said, a lot going on with the program. Um, but 
it at least starts to make you think a little bit more about Mel Tucker's records at the other places he coached, like Colorado, where he hasn't really been a terrific performer overall throughout his career and has had a lot of seasons that look a lot like five and six going into your last game hoping to play a bowl game. Um, so I think it makes you at least wonder whether all that money that you dropped off is going to be worth it. Um, and, you know, yep, there's kind of a reason to give him a pass this season and see the way it shakes out. He's been recruiting well. Um, but it's not looking phenomenal for Michigan State right now at the moment. All right. With that, we will go to the next uh, powerful conference. I think we can agree, uh, SEC, which had a massive weekend in terms of results um, or lack thereof, depending on how you look at it. So first game uh another it seems like Tennessee is just involved in like the game of the year every other week but uh Tennessee goes to South Carolina probably overlooking them a little bit inarguably we've seen on this podcast people argue Tennessee in the best position for the college football playoff where when you avoid a championship game and get in, which is part of the reason I think that that shouldn't be happening. You should never be rewarded for missing a championship game. Part of another flaw in this system of getting letting two teams in from the SEC. But yeah, I mean, you heard Ryan talk about this a couple weeks ago yeah. or last week when he said that the biggest winner of the weekend was Tennessee because of the spot that the other games around them put them in where they didn't really have to do anything to make the college football playoff except just win against their duds left on the rest of their regular season slate. And here we are. But that's why they play the games. So Tennessee went into South Carolina, a South Carolina team that, if you haven't been following, is um, quarterbacked by one Spencer Rattler, Rattler from Oklahoma, who coming into this game, by the way, and you know I'm sure someone will write in uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe had eight touchdowns and nine interceptions coming into the game. We call that a ratio? And... Did he ever look like Baker Mayfield at Oklahoma reincarnated? I Dude, mean, he absolutely real in this game, slinging it, absolutely slinging it. I got to watch a, a good portion of this game. You know, there aren't many games when you can sit back and say that 63-38 might not even be representative, but this might be one of them. I yeah, mean, dude. I mean, if you if you put different uniforms on these teams. You know, you you would swear that South Carolina was like the 2001 Miami Hurricanes. They looked it, unbelievable. It was, it was insane. Spencer Rattler was making every pass. He was fitting the ball into tight windows. He was hitting his wide open receivers when they were wide open right in stride for easy, huge plays. He was making every pass. He was extending plays with his legs. I mean, he seriously looked unreal in this game. Um, 30 for 37 for 438 yards and six passing touchdowns ridiculous game yeah i mean anytime you have you have one more incompletion than touchdowns and you go for four and you go for almost 450 yards um that's that's huge and and this one again if you didn't get the chance to watch it this was south this was south carolina the whole time from the get-go you know hangs three touchdowns on them in, in the first quarter. Yeah, Tennessee had one, but they never looked back. I mean, there was a point in this game 
when, you know, you, you wonder if South Carolina is truly going to hit 70. I mean, it could have been 70 to, to 30. Um, South Carolina scored on nine of their 11 drives in this game. Nine of their 11 drives they scored. You yeah. cannot be a top five team in the country and let your opponent, when your opponent is a team like South Carolina that hasn't been very good this year, like just got blown out by Florida last week and scored six points, and you let them score on nine of their 11 drives. Tennessee's defense is soft. They did not look very good in this game. They, like, they just... South Carolina did whatever they wanted. Spencer Rattler did everything he wanted in this game. Yeah, um, you know, this is the same... This is the exact same Tennessee defense that held LSU to 13 points at home. And we'll get to that. We'll get to that a little bit later. But some of these results in the SEC games are are just crazy. It seems like the, you know, um, playoff committee is is in their back pocket and definitely is in their the wallet. SEC actually just the Big 12 and everybody is kind of just mediocre. And then there's Georgia, which is TCU at the top. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's not the same as the Big 12, but it's the same concept. You know, I, I, I don't think that this year really has the traditional LSU power and Bama power. And we clearly want to we clearly want to put them there. And this helped get us to that result. I think we do have to mention um, Hendon Hooker in this. Um, obviously, in, in the second half, he has the classic non-contact um, knee pivot injury. Um, bad enough that when you watch it live, you, you knew it was probably uh, serious, probably ACL, which is now confirmed. Um, heart goes out to him. You know, um, all we do here is wish him a speedy recovery. Uh, absolutely um, legendary season for the record books for Tennessee. Um, whether he wins the Heisman or not, that's obviously much more difficult given, um, you know, the circumstance with the injury and that there's games left to play. But um, an amazing season, an amazing story of him transferring, uh, not even winning the starting job, getting the starting job um, from Joe Milton there and having an absolute season also seems like a, a complete class act. Um, so thoughts and prayers for him for a, a speedy recovery and for, you know, the Tennessee fan base. That's you never want to see that. Totally agree, man. How much fun was it watching Hendon Hooker play this year? He was electric, especially those few big games a couple weeks ago. Man, I had a great time watching Tennessee. I know you and I talked about how we were both kind of feeling like Tennessee fans singing a little Rocky Top. Uh, was a great run, uh, and you feel really sorry for the kid the way you go down like that. Um, yeah, you know, on on – you know, I don't see Hendon Hooker winning the Heisman anymore. It's just tough with the circumstances. I think first, you know, Tennessee now has another loss, a bad loss. Um, second, it's really tough to do it when you're injured. I, I think we all know, like, when you go out for games that are going to be big games down the stretch of the season, it's really tough to win awards like that. And then, you know, I don't think Hendon Hooker looked phenomenal in the first half before the injury either. I thought he kind of really struggled in the beginning of this game and didn't look great. And he hasn't looked like the world beater that he was the past three weeks. Um, so I think other guys have kind of rallied in the Heisman race a little more and made big plays in 
big moments at near the end of the season. And it's always a little bit of recency bias with the Heisman trophy. Uh, but yeah, you know, not the important conversation at this moment. Completely agree with you. Thoughts go out to Hendon Hooker. Hope his recovery goes okay. Uh, Kev, uh, we don't talk about this a lot on the pod, but uh, you uh, do orthopedics. We've talked about a couple big injuries. I'm curious, Has do you know if they've announced anything on either Hendon Hooker or Blake Corum's injuries and what it might mean for them moving forward? Yeah, so um, in terms of Blake Corum, we'll start there. They have not announced anything. What I saw was a bruise. Um, You know, obviously you can even have contusions uh, of the bone, um, which can be more symptomatic than um, structurally compromising is probably the easiest way to say it. Um, However, it's a little bit easier to do things to remedy pain for one game for a couple hours to get to get a guy back in there. Um, You know, we'll have to see what the what he's able to play with, but there's been no official read there. Nothing actually on Donovan Edwards either. All I see is hand injury. I haven't been able to find anything more than that. Yeah, Um, on my on my hunting for some answers on Donovan Edwards, the only thing I found was hand injury as well. And I saw two wildly different rumors from very unverified and questionable sources that said broken bone in hand and like minor hand issue held out in preparation for the big game. So take that for what it's worth. I did the hunting so you don't have to. None of it is true. Probably. I have no idea who these people are, but that is what I know. Yeah. And then uh Hendon hooker does have a confirmed, um, ACL tear, which um, given the non-contact pivoting injury, um, when you watch it live, that's obviously what you're you're concerned about. Um, So he's done for the season. Um, He'll be in preparation for uh, the NFL draft, will not be able to participate in in, in a pro day um, in any meaningful way for that. Um, So unfortunately, there's a good chance that that does uh, impact his draft stock in some way, um, but leaves it open right now with the amazing kind of uh, surgery and post-operative protocols they have in place now um, for these elite athletes that he would possibly be available for some portion of next season in the NFL would be uh, generally what you're looking at for Hendon Hooker. I hate to uh, dwell too much on the negative effects of something crummy like his injury. Uh, I have trouble seeing a team jump into draft Hendon Hooker fresh off an ACL this year at any point in the draft. I don't know, Kevin, like I mean, I, I see him maybe landing on a team as his recovery continues as a free agent or maybe signing after the draft, but I, I might be totally off base here. I, I am certainly not well read on my NFL draft board research, but I feel like this is going to be a massive hit on his draft stock and could knock him out of the draft. Um, I would actually kind of challenge that a little bit. I would say that probably in past years, um, we have, it seems like we have really been able to push the boundaries here of not only the speed at which these players recover, but um, talking about their return to play and how well they return to play. There are multiple guys who are coming back pretty quick. And I think that not only, sorry, coming back quick, but coming back almost at full strength or, you know, playing at the level or even higher than they were before. Um, 
you know, and, and how it doesn't hurt their draft stock. One person's name who comes to mind that I would argue even had a worse injury given his position is Jamison Williams. So he had his injury later in the year last year than Hendon Hooker did. He plays wide receiver. Hendon Hooker obviously plays quarterback, a position that you are just given the fact that there's a little bit less cutting and it's the cutting pivoting motion that places the ACL at risk that, you know, wide receivers are normally going to probably be in higher risk positions to re-tear. Jameson Williams still went in the first round. So I think it does, it definitely hurts the draft stock, but I don't think that, I think that every year teams are looking more and more at, if this, if this guy's a proven thing, even if he has an ACL, we're getting guys back from ACLs sooner and back to a higher level of play more predictably than we were prior. I do think... A little of what NFL teams will be looking at when they're eyeing Hendon Hooker and trying to think about all this is his age. You know, he's not a young guy jumping to the NFL early. You look at his recovery time, how old he'll be at that time. You think about a few years in the NFL, he's probably not going to be a guy who starts immediately right as he gets on the roster, especially with the injury. So you're looking at a guy who's no longer in what we typically consider the prime years of an NFL guy's career. By the time he recovers, he's almost at the tail end of that. I just, you know, I I feel really bad. I think it's a really unfortunate situation. Wish him the best. Hope he can do everything um, that he needs to in his recovery and has a chance to kind of make the mark that I think he definitely had a chance to make and still has a chance to make. Um, So I guess we'll see how it plays out. He'll definitely get a shot. He, he will get a he'll get a shot. I think he'll probably get drafted. Um, okay. Next, uh, next game in the SEC. Let's talk about their other uh, playoff contender here, Georgia. Georgia sixteen, Kentucky six. Um, I'll let you start this one off. Did you were you able to catch a lot of this game, Pat? Yeah, I caught a little bit of the first half of this game, and then I uh, caught the rest after. Um, Georgia really struggled in this game. Kentucky gave them just about everything they could handle. And I ha- I really have a tough time putting my finger on exactly why this was. Uh, starting, I guess, with Will Levis, the guy who's been a lot of the topic of our conversations and other conversations, the guy with like this huge draft appeal, but uh, questionable performances in big games. Um, he actually looked okay in this game. And I kind of think he did everything he could for Kentucky here. I mean, he moved the ball a little bit. He made plays when he needed to um, against a really, really dang good uh, Georgia defense who looked every bit as good as they always do in this game. But Georgia's offense, like all of a sudden Kentucky was able to like get a handle on Georgia's offense. And, We've kind of seen this inconsistency from Georgia's offense before where sometimes Stetson Bennett and that crew look just a little shaky and they really kind of struggle to find their stride. And then they have that other gear that we see sometimes where they just can demolish you. Um, They didn't have that gear in this game. And Kentucky kind of gave Georgia the best shot that any team has this season and looked really pretty solid. I mean – I don't really know what to take away from this. We've talked about this a lot with Georgia where there's just these games where we don't really know if they're playing with their food 
or if they're not actually as good as they have been in recent years where they were like the best team around. So not exactly sure what to take away, but I thought Kentucky looks pretty good and Georgia looks kind of questionable. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't catch a lot of this game, but I, you know, I'll say this, there are certain things in college football that are general tenants that, that, you know, I try to always stick to. And one of them, like we mentioned all the time, is that it is really difficult to win conference road games. It is. What are the two major data points we have for Georgia being good this year? Crushing Oregon, crushing Tennessee, both home games. I'm not saying they don't matter, but they played them at home. Let's just take a look at who Georgia has played on the road this year. September 17th, they win at South Carolina, which now looks a little bit better. That was 48-7 to when they had their foot in the gas. They played at Missouri. They played at Mississippi State and at Kentucky. Those are their only road games. They looked great against you know the Mississippi State. When they played at Missouri, that was 26-22. That was the first time we were like, eh, I don't know about this Georgia team. So I think it's really sometimes underestimated that, you know, we, we you hear people talk about college football and they say, oh, well, they beat Tennessee. That game is different in Knoxville. It just is. That doesn't mean that Tennessee's better than Georgia. Uh, but we, these are important factors that every time when you talk about a game in college football, you need to consider where it was played. If this was played, you know, in Georgia, I think we'd have a completely different result here. So I think that's part of it. And I think, you know, again, it's just everyone was kind of sleepwalking this weekend. I don't necessarily, I don't know that much more or less about Georgia or think much more or less about them than I did before. Besides the fact that, yeah, you get them on the road, they're gettable. That's that. That's it. So new, new, but new Georgia ain't point. got no more road games, Kevin. Exactly. And so that's, you know, that's what happens when you don't play any, um, you don't play any ranked games on the road. Um, obviously Michigan's had a week schedule, but we're about to play a really big road game here. So that's one big difference between us and some other teams is, um, I know it's only one and Michigan has had a, has had it of the, of the four teams, Michigan's had a really weak schedule. I'm not, you know, you're not going to argument for me because that's a fact, but, but Kev, SEC schedules in November must be really tough, right? Well, I think that what this does show is that look at why, you know, why is LSU playing UAB? Why is Bama playing Austin P? This is why, because stuff like this happens. It happens. If you play enough of these games over the course of multiple seasons, these late conference road games will get you. One of them will. It almost got Georgia. It almost got Ohio State. Like, it, you no matter how good you are, these aren't, these are never cakewalk games. These are hard games to win. But I will point out that Alabama, who scheduled Austin P in November, uh, moved up in the college football playoffs after a dominant 34 point win. Yeah, I, I think there has to be something, you know, done about this. I'm not sure what it is, but, but it's. It, but every tune into anyone on sports media and tell me which conferences and which teams schedules and especially non-conference schedules you hear talked about because I tune in and hear Michigan's non-conference schedule get talked about every damn day 
but I don't hear really anybody ever talking about why we're playing Austin P in November. Yeah, and I think that I think what's most important here is both things can be true. It can be true that Michigan played a week non-conference schedule and overall a little bit down of a Big Ten schedule. I'll give you that. Totally that's agree. True. That's true. But also, yes, a lot of these SEC teams are also playing cupcakes. Yes. And they're, and they're also putting some of these cupcakes, you know, not only in a time in the season where it gives them a little bit of a break, yes. but they do it at a time now where it's like, you know, Alabama, it's not like... Alabama's already established that, that they have that they're this kind of team that they're pretty good this year. So it's like now they're established and they played a cupcake and it doesn't matter. You know, it's almost like, oh, so if we would have stuck Colorado State here instead of Illinois, what does it matter? You know, it does that that's the point. Is like somehow it's it's more of an advantage and they get a pass for it. So that's the point. If you're gonna call out Michigan, which Michigan deserves, Michigan out of the top four teams has easily had the weakest schedule. There totally is no agree. doubt about that. But if However, you're going to call Michigan call out, out call out other teams for scheduling ridiculous cupcakes on their second last game of the season when other teams are fighting for their absolute lives in big games. And maybe call them out a little bit harder when they're doing it against teams in the FCS. Yeah, it's not. I mean, these aren't even, you know, LSU a little bit different. UAB is not a, not necessarily a bad football team, but they, did they have a real chance at winning there in, in Baton Rouge? I mean, come on. No, they didn't. When you schedule Power 5 teams like uh, Colorado State, those teams vacillate and can be very decent like Colorado State was when they got scheduled and can also become really crummy. When you schedule an FCS team years in advance – you know that they will suck. And you did it anyways, and you did it in November. So maybe uh, you know, maybe the big brain here is really the SEC teams that know that they're allowed to do this and still do it. That way they can get away with it. Maybe we need to change the rules again or something. So we allow them to do it. I just think it should be called out. All right, Kev, yeah. anything else in the SEC that you want to touch on before we move on? Just real quick. Um Old Miss loses. They go to Arkansas, lose 42-27. Um, again, these road games, especially late in the year in conference, they're just they're just never gimmies. Um, however, what does this teach us? This teaches us that um, LSU is not that good. LSU is not a bad football team, but they're just not that strong of a football team. Um, obviously, we know that that Arkansas. Uh, is kind of a below average SEC team. I mean, they were five and five going into this game. This gave them their sixth win. Um, Old Miss loses, and they have two running backs go over hundred yards. I mean, they 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 don't play any defense. Um, I'm not, I'm not impressed by Old Miss at all. I, you know, the, anyone who beat them that that does not um, really carry that much weight um, to me anymore. Uh, just because we're running for the sake of time, we're running behind. We still have a couple big games. Let's go to the Pac-12, arguably the biggest game of the weekend with the most implications for both teams head-to-head. Uh, Battle of Los Angeles. Trojans uh, having a quote-unquote road game um, against UCLA in the Rose Bowl. Uh, Trojans uh, with absolute stud. Caleb Williams pull it out uh, 48-45. to 45. Uh, Pat, what are your thoughts on this one? Uh, 
starting off just hell of a rivalry game. I just love college football so much, dude. These games are why. This was just so fun to watch, dude. I love this. USC, UCLA, one of the great rivalries. Can't freaking wait to have them in the Big Ten. Huge get. Like, what a great Big Ten game that's going to be. Love it. Um, I thought the biggest factor in this game, this game ended up crazy close, 48-45. USC got it done. I think the biggest factor was actually on UCLA's side of the ball. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, Dorian, Florian, Lorian. um, Four turnovers in this game, man. Uh, He throws three interceptions. He has one fumble. One of those interceptions was the interception at the end of the game when UCLA had a chance to win. He's just wildly unpredictable. Like every time he touches the ball, it's like, oh my God, are you going to do the good thing, the the good DTR thing, or are you going to do the bad DTR thing? And that's exhausting to watch. And you see, we've seen it this season. UCLA has a ceiling of a very, very good football team because good DTR is really, really good. And they have talent around him. And Zach Charbonnet is a great running back. And you put good DTR with Zach Charbonnet and the pieces they have around him and the coach they have, and they can look really good. But also, bad DTR is really bad, dude. Four turnovers is going to cost you just about every football game. Um, Briefly, on the other side of the ball, USC, big win, huge win. uh, Sets them up for everything. You know, they have uh, one foot in the college football playoff if they can play their cards right down the stretch here. Um, But how do you give up 45 points and have to win the game on an interception when you turn UCLA over four times? Like, how are you not controlling this game with all that happening? So, you know, the second half of this game, the offenses both turned it on. I think there was six straight touchdown drives in the second half. It was a really fun watch the decisive game in the Pac-12 in terms of the college football. It's a huge win for USC. Um, I think there was um, a lot of questions about Travis Dye and for USC to get the job done um, through all that. Um, you know, great win. Um, kind of came away with feeling a little more questionable about both teams with the way it played out because I thought USC really should have put their foot on their throat earlier in this game. And then UCLA just... I just can't. I'm exhausted watching DTR play football. I almost came away from this game um, uh, not quite as high on either team and just higher on Caleb, Caleb Williams. Um, I think that was really the difference in this game. Neither the defense, could, neither of the defenses could really stop anybody. And it was more about um, Dor- Dorian Thompson Robinson uh, turning the ball over because that's what it really came down to. It was either they're either going to score a touchdown and win the game or he's going to turn the ball over. Those are the only kind of possible outcomes. Um, I think that, uh, however, again, when we look at the recipe for a good team, coach, quarterback, um, and then basically if you want an upset, you need special teams and you need turnovers, but then having an identity and they have a good coach. They have a good quarterback. They have an identity. They don't have a defense. Um, to me, this is just so I've seen this team before and they're called Tennessee. I've seen this team. I know who this team is. I've seen this team play this year. Um, and I just, it's hard for me to believe that 
this will continue against Notre Dame and in the Pac-12 championship. I just don't think both of them will happen. I feel like USC is on their way to another loss. Um, I just don't think they're complete enough of a team yet. But man, Caleb Williams is absolutely electric, must-watch TV. Um, I don't even know who he reminds me of. It's like he's it's like he's Russell Wilson, but he's more athletic and bigger. Or it's almost like um, he's like a a little smaller, like not not as big Justin Herbert. Josh Allen, he can throw it deep, and it's like Josh Allen, but he's not big. I don't. I there's like no one to compare him to. He's his own. He throws Derek Carr. He throws on the run. Some some of his throws rolling right are incredible like above average nfl quarterback matt stafford i i can't i i I genuinely i think he's all world i think he probably he probably should win the heisman which is oh come on dude he probably should win the heisman no no um, given the fact that where his team where his team is at and how he's playing i think i think he probably is the best player in college football um and if it goes to if it's supposed to go to the outstanding or the best player, then he should probably win. I think um, you're a lunatic. Um, so we'll we'll see how that plays out. But I think that you know Hooker got injured, Stroud had a bad day. Um, Corum, we'll see. Uh, but right now, um, it would have been you know him or Drake May. But uh, if we're actually not looking at now, it matters where your team finishes and all that. I totally get that. I don't think I don't think he will win, but I think he probably should. Um. All right, why don't I throw this one at you, Kev? Oregon yep. hosted Utah, escaped with a 20-17 to 17 win. Any takeaways from that one before we move to the ACC? This is the classic game where, again, it's about who's at home and who's on the road. Um, Oregon's a tough place to play. Um, I don't know. It's like they, they, they beat them by three. Does that make them a better team? Like, I think if Oregon played the next week at Utah, that Utah probably wins by more than three. I think Utah's probably a better team than Oregon, to be honest with you. I think they're they're a little more physical. Cam Rising had a terrible game. Um, yeah, it, and I know I know Bo Nix is a little bit beat up. Um, I just think that like I think Oregon was smart by wrapping themselves into this whole like SEC thing, you know, where like somehow by the fact that like the only difference between me getting off the bus and putting my pads on the sideline and just sitting down in the 50 versus Georgia and Oregon is a field goal. And somehow they get like all this credit for it. I don't know. I don't think this, I think this Oregon team is not a bad team, but I don't think they are, they were like ever a top six team in the country. And all of a sudden they get this win and they get bumped up again. And they, they got this win at home. Utah didn't have a great game. Part of that goes to Oregon, but no, I didn't learn that much more about these teams and didn't change my mind. I kind of thought Oregon's defense looked pretty good in this game. I mean, Cam Rising has looked really good in weeks past, and there's been big question marks about Oregon's defense all season. Like, do they even have one? Um, And they gave Cam Rising hell in this game. He had a really tough time getting going. Um, Bo Nix certainly hobbled, certainly hurt. I thought he actually looked pretty good with the injury, all things considered. Like he played a decent game and got Oregon the win. Um, I, I get what you're saying. Not a not a ton of takeaways, but I think the thing I was most impressed with was Oregon's defense because I was pretty high on Cam Rising and Utah's offensive potential. And Oregon's defense finally showed up in a way that they haven't consistently most of this season. So I, I thought it was nice to see that. I agree with you. I don't think Oregon's in that top four conversation um, with their ability this season, but I thought they looked pretty solid. 
Okay. Uh, two more quick ones. Sorry for for uh, ACC and Big Twelve fans, um, but just in the sake of time, we only got two more to really get to here. UNC loses to Georgia Tech, and not only did they lose to Georgia Tech, they lose to Georgia Tech at home. Um, they did drop the winning touchdown, Josh Downs from Drake May, which would have saved uh, the season. Uh, Georgia Tech was four and six before this game. How is Georgia Tech the team that finally solves the puzzle of Drake May and the UNC offense? Like, did you have that one in your little crystal ball that Georgia Tech was going to finally figure it out? No, I didn't. And, you know, this just begs the question, like, you know, UNC to me was kind of like that TCU. Like, they slide by, they slide by, they slide by. TCU's playing a better schedule. Totally get that. I don't mean to – that's kind of an insult to TCU, but – team that has this quarterback who's kind of a dual threat who's playing pretty well who just always makes it happen uh questionable defense there are certain similarities tcu clearly a better team clear on a different uh echelon um but i do think that this is the result that could happen to tcu if duggan you know lays an egg um i think somehow unc it's kind of like when unc was on that winning streak they weren't getting a lot of love they probably weren't getting as much love as they should have been right well, guess what? Now it's fair because they're not getting as much hate as they should right now. I mean, this is a terrible loss. And maybe it's because Tennessee lost to South Carolina in the week, which was you know bigger and more people focused on that. But this was at home. Everything on the line at home. Drake May, one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Mac Brown, one of the better coaches in the country. Um, Georgia Tech fired their coach earlier this year. Georgia kind of- Tech sucks kind of a dumpster fire four and six um this is just this is unacceptable inexcusable i think that the tar heels started thinking they were playing basketball instead of football in this one uh with some of the incompletions that drake may uh was throwing but um this this is a bad this is this is a really this is a stain this is a really bad loss um Nothing more to say about it than that. Great for college football playoff contenders around the country because it kind of opens up another spot, takes one more team off the list there. All right, uh, Big 12, touch on a huge game. TCU finds a way again. 29 over Baylor's 28 on the road at Baylor. This game was kind of crazy down the stretch. I'll just set the scene real quick. Um, Max Duggan finds a way to get TCU down the field as they trail. It's third and seven with 17 seconds. TCU has no timeouts. Clock has stopped. The play call, a run. They run the ball. The clock starts ticking down. They have to run their kick team on. They're doing full fire drill, running guys on the field. They get the snap. The ball snapped with seconds left. And he just pures it right down the middle to win the game by one. Uh, TCU escapes. Kevin, thoughts on this one? Kind of a crazy ending. Uh, in my opinion, this one sealed up. No more conversation. Sonny Dykes, uh, coach of the year. Um, he should be the national coach of the year. It doesn't matter the rest of the results. Um, even if they lose to Iowa State and they lose. Well, okay. Maybe that's a little bit of an exaggeration. Get to the Big 12 championship with a win. Uh, even if they lose that one or if they if they win one of the next two, basically, he should be coach of the year. I mean, the to me, 
put all the rest of the game aside. They were able to win when uh, uh, Miller wasn't running the ball well, when Johnston, their big target on the outside, didn't have a huge game, found a way. But, you know, when he said in the postgame press conference, we've practiced this, that's the difference. That's the difference between these these coaches who are good college coaches and great college coaches. You know, that's what makes these teams win these games. He, The guys were ready. Everyone knew their job when they got out there. No false start. No hesitation. I was so impressed um, uh, at that the execution on that field goal, and that's all coaching. Um, teams run those drills, but how? To, but to get, to get your guys motivated to say, "Hey, this might be the difference in a game, and this this could save our season." Um, that's the difference between a good coach and a great coach. Um, he's showing that he's a great coach. He he got it done right there. Um, so yeah, Sonny Dykes firmly positioned himself with this one in my mind for national coach of the year. Yeah, I mean, give Sonny Dykes all the credit in the world. He's done an outstanding job this season. I will say that was a terrible call. Like, what are you doing running the ball there and setting yourself up for the fire drill? I, I mean, I have a question, though. I mean, was it? Because because uh, he, he, he did it and he won the game. Do anything else. Why, though? You, you want your kicker and your kick team running onto the field with the clock ticking down? Anything goes wrong there and you lose. I wouldn't, I wouldn't think so either, but I mean, who knows all the times when you throw the ball and there's an interception. Don't or, throw the ball. Or spike it. Yeah, I guess you, you could have spiked it. With. I guess you could have spiked. Maybe maybe he knew that his kicker wanted it on, on that hash or in that position. They didn't even I, change the hash. I Yeah, I don't. All I don't I know. know. A bad call is a bad call. That's a terrible call. It doesn't make any sense. There's no positive benefit from running the ball there except putting yourself into a crisis but the tcu horned frogs and the hypno toad continue it going they get the win they're undefeated they're rolling through max duggan's looking great they'll face iowa state at home frisky iowa state but not a good offense um and then they'll head to the big 12 championship if they can get it done they look like they'll probably face kansas state um so the road is not completely easy we'll see how it plays out down the road for tcu uh, but looking like they have every chance in the world to make the college football playoff um on that note kev shall we chat a little college football playoff yeah let's talk about the the rankings here yeah let's do what were your thoughts any big takeaways you know i think a lot of expected and still some kind of question marks about why some of those top 15 teams are where they are so let's I'll go from top to bottom here. Um, I will start by saying, let me just prove I'm not a homer. I, I thought TCU was going to jump Michigan. Um, I thought that this week was the week where um, I, I don't think Baylor is a better football team than Illinois, but it's a road game, um, which matters more, especially to me. Um TCU has had probably a more has had more consistent testing. However, I also don't think TCU. I think Penn State would be the toughest test on the TCU schedule. Um, so I think Michigan has a better win than TCU does, but I think the TCU probably has a, a, a better full schedule. So I would have been okay with that. Um, things are lining up very interesting. I have, you know, my biggest question for you or takeaway is. This more than I thought is setting up for even a Michigan loss and still possibly getting in. In my mind, there are tiers of resumes here. 
I think Georgia's the best team in the country. I think that's I think that's pretty clear at this point. Agree with you. What they've proven. However, do I think there's an argument for Ohio State? I do, just because Ohio State beat Penn State at Penn State. And that is something that Georgia has not done. Objectively, Georgia has not faced a team like Penn State and beat them on the road. Yeah, but I don't think that can be your only criteria because they no. did obliterate a really good old Oregon team early in the season. So I, I still think they have the best win, but I, I see your devil's advocate. I just, I'm just saying that if you're an Ohio State fan, I think that I think Ohio State's firmly at two. Okay, if Georgia's Agreed. at one, I think Ohio State's firmly at two. There's Agreed. a little bit of a gap there. Um, I think that there's a little bit of a gap between one and two, a little bit of a gap between two, and then I think Michigan TCU is probably the toss-up two and three. I don't really think TCU should be above Ohio State. If you want to put TCU above Michigan, that's fine. But then, in my eyes, there's a huge drop from four to five. Um, you in know, terms of resumes, I absolutely if, agree. If, if you're going to put – I think a lot of people wanted to see USC at five. I would be okay with that. Um, I think that USC, again, if it quacks like Tennessee and it smells like Tennessee, it might be Tennessee. And I think that that's what USC is. You know, they have their one loss was a close one on two point conversion. I will give them that they have a pretty good loss to a pretty good team. Um, their best win before UCLA was, uh, Oregon state, I guess, which I think I, I literally think the committee's putting them in the top 25 to get um, USC some more wins because I don't look at um, I don't look at Oregon State as any better than like an Illinois or a Maryland. I think they're all about that same caliber of six and four, seven and three team. Um, I know some people are upset about uh, Bama over Clemson. Um, I think that's probably valid. Um, all of those teams kind of in the same, you know, Tennessee, Oregon, Clemson. Yeah, I think my biggest takeaway was uh, I just am a little perplexed, and I think I would be the last guy to be defending Clemson. But why is Clemson behind both LSU and Alabama with two losses? I just don't see it. I don't think their resumes are that much better. I still think it's a strange SEC bias that, like, Dude, the three of the best teams in the country right now are not in the SEC. Like, we've watched the games. Like, the SEC is not as strong as it typically is. Those teams are not that good this year. Yeah, I would agree. I I really think once you get into the – I think every team from 5 until 11 is almost interchangeable. I really don't think there is – I think you can almost like throw those teams in a hat. Maybe with USC sh- that should be closer to the top. I don't think t- USC should be all the way out there at 11. But I don't think Penn State should be. No, you know, yeah. Explain, and to I me think, how or, explain to me how Oregon's that much better than Penn State. No, it, does, it really doesn't either. make sense from a resume standpoint or really an on-the-field standpoint. Um, at this, So at this point, you, you touched on the Michigan's chances of making it with a loss to Ohio State and and equally Ohio State's chances of making it with a loss to Michigan. Those resumes are still going to be for sure on par with what you just said, the 5 through 11 that seem like a cluster right now. Those their resumes will not drop below those teams. So then I think you look at which teams still have a chance to make a play at the college football playoff. I mean, USC certainly does. Uh 
you could argue Clemson has a chance to get to that one loss mark um, and they can win the conference. Um, TCU has a chance to continue to go undefeated. And then the Michigan-Ohio State winner is clearly in. And if TCU goes undefeated, that leaves one spot. So in the Michigan and Ohio State scenario, I think you're just a few losses away from really having the best chance at that spot of any team left. I think you need a loss from USC to Notre Dame or in the conference championship. And then I think it would be nice to get a loss from Clemson. And it would be nice if LSU didn't run the table and have the SEC championship to add to their belt. And then I think like the fourth spot is completely up for grabs and the loser of the game might have the best resume. Yeah, And I think I that mean, their resume compares to those teams that I just said might have to lose. I just think to overcome the whole two teams from the same conference thing, it'd be nice to be head and shoulders above that resume. And I don't think those teams losing is that unrealistic at all. No, I agree. And, um, you know, if it's if it's Ohio, I think it, we're in a unique uh, position because if Ohio State loses, they I think have enough buffer because they're at number two, and the, and the committee thinks about them a little better than they do Michigan. And they have know, that win over Notre Dame. And they have that win over Notre Dame um, to get there. If I'm Michigan and I lose, that has to be the best loss in the country at Ohio State, especially if it's close, right? Right. Um, it's tough with Michigan strength of schedule concerns early in the season. Um, You know, I have, I feel less concerned about that than a lot of people in the media are. I don't think their schedule has been that bad compared to the other teams you're comparing them to, but yeah, I think Michigan has the argument of that's a very, 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 very good loss. If it's a close game Um, as well as the argument of, you know, we have a couple of good wins, so, yeah, you know, I think they're in the conversation. I think Ohio State certainly stays in the conversation with one of the best losses in the country, losing to, uh, you know, a college football playoff lock at number two in Michigan if they beat them, and then having wins over Penn State and Notre Dame. Yeah, so I think the biggest um, the biggest sham in this whole thing, and I feel pretty strong about this, is LSU. Um, you know, this is coming from the uh, – Kevin Wise Sports Stats Bureau, so it could be wrong. But from my understanding, no one who's ever made the college football playoff has had a has had a twenty point loss in the season. Especially not two losses, uh, and it's never been at home. So, uh, you know, LSU would have by far the worst resume and the worst loss ever to to win it. Um, yeah. You're you're so totally I, right there. I just, I just think it's insane that we're putting LSU at five when they they got absolutely crushed by a two loss team at home. Um, but you know, time will tell. Um, so, um, real quick, there's a great um, and whenever we get information from another source or podcast, we we don't like to steal their stuff. So this is from the uh, college football um Reddit. But um, I just wanted to touch on how great it would be if we had the 12 uh, team playoff right now. Oh, dude, don't get so, me started. It would so, be incredible. And how and how I think that, again, this is probably my, you know, maybe you could call it my Big Ten bias, but it's just how the 
the way it the way it shakes out this week, which I know probably wouldn't be what it really is, man, I think the Big Ten would absolutely dominate. So on the upper left, the um, quarterfinal or the uh, whatever comes before the quarterfinal, sorry, I guess kind of like the play-in game you could call it, would be uh, Clemson and Oregon. The winner of that would play Georgia. On the bottom left, That's you a have, stacked bracket. Yep. On the bottom left, you have Michigan, and right now it would be Tulane. Dub. Uh, and the winner of that would play USC. Uh, on the upper right, you would have Bama rematch against Tennessee. Winner, that. winner of that would play Ohio State. Okay. Bottom right, you would have Penn State playing LSU, the game I have been wanting. Oh, please, so Kev. Long. And the winner you, of that would, uh, you would be intolerable after and, that game. And and the winner of that would play TCU. So um just, uh, to show you, I'm just not a- why are you depriving us? Give it to me. Give it to us now. It sounds perfect, dude. So um just to show you, I'm not a complete Big Ten homer. I do think in this scenario that, you know, I don't Clemson would probably beat Oregon, I think, and then, you know, get crushed by Georgia. Uh, Michigan would obviously take care of Tulane. And then I think right now we can all agree Michigan's a better team than USC. I think Michigan would run all over USC. I do. Yeah, I mean, I will say that Tulane game would make me nervous, dude. Tulane's a good football team. But yeah, yeah, I think think Michigan could get through those two. Absolutely. But I think that just the way we, I think we could, we could beat them up, kind of bludgeon them. Yeah, big body. Since we would have time to get healthy. Big body. but I think in the semifinal that Georgia would take care of Michigan, similar to the semifinal last year. Yeah, I know you can, again, you can email me if you want. Um, in the upper right, I think that, um, I think regardless of who wins Bama or Tennessee, I think Ohio state takes care of them. They're clearly better than both of those football teams. I think Penn state gets LSU and I think Penn state has a good shot against TCU. So I think, I think we could have three big 10 teams in the semifinal of the four. I think there's a very good chance that that's how it shakes out now. Yeah, that would be a really nice bracket for the Big Ten. Yeah, so um, so whatever. That's a fantasy land. That's probably not even how it would shake out in the end, but that's what it would be right now. And um, I would, I just want to see tennis. I just want to see Penn State play LSU. I want to see it so bad, just just to prove a point. Um, Which coach do you think is better, Brian Kelly or James Franklin? Brian Kelly. Totally agree. Brian Kelly. Uh, I think especially this year. Um, I don't even think it's close. It's not that LSU has had a bad year. LSU has not had a bad year. They're not the fifth best team. They're not the best. No, they're not. They aren't. They're not even a college football playoff caliber team in my mind. No, I I completely agree. Um, So for our last session here, we're going to do a little uh, mailbag. Um, Oh, mailbag. So uh, shout out to uh, Christian Peterson. Uh, big U- Utah Utes fan um, who had a comment about me saying that Penn State is better than LSU uh, changed my mind. That that was my thing. And he said, uh, University of Michigan has no other good win than Penn State. Somewhat valid. Big 10 week this year. Uh, I will root for U of M over SEC any day. Thank you, Christian. Uh, we Christian, have my we guy. Have we have a guy. Year. Pack Pack Twelve and Big Ten. We have to unite forces against this SEC bias. Um, and my response was was very honest. Um, I said, you know, U of M definitely has a weak schedule. Who is Alabama's best win? Who is Alabama's know. best I, win? I, I just I just want to know who Alabama's why 
what data point tells me that Alabama's good this year? That's all I want to know. And he says, Old Miss, perhaps equivalent to Penn State. Bama has been tested on the, on the road to LSU. You lost that test. And Tennessee, you also lost that test. With losses on last plays. I'll give you that. I'll give you that one. It does matter how they lose. They were, they were in those games and they could have won. Um, so I, I think he's, I think he has a point. Michigan. I would put Alabama above Penn state because of their, the closeness of their losses feel like those games could have flipped easily. I can't do the same mental gymnastics with Penn state because of how soundly Michigan beat them. And I think they fall just a tier below, but I agree with you, dude, that gap between the top four and the teams that follow is big right now. And it will sort itself out because those teams play each other and those teams have big games left to come and those resumes will even out. But right now, that gap is sizable. Let me ask you this. Who do you think is better, Bama or LSU? Like neutral field, who do I have winning the game? Yeah, who's a better football team? Bama. I think Bama's better too. I just think it proves it proves a point that um, I think we need to think about. We need to really you need to really watch the games and really think about all the factors involved, especially home field. You know, I just can't. I can't put LSU can't go. I would rather Alabama be at five right now than LSU. You lost by twenty seven at home. You can't go to the college football playoff. It's it's like uh there are certain prereqs you have to pass. But the SEC it, champion has to go to the college football playoff, Kevin. Yeah. I I mean, I don't think that's that gonna be an issue, but man, what you know, what would make Paul Feinbaum more warm and fuzzy inside other than LSU beating Georgia and knowing that so I I mean pa! now here's let's say LSU blows out Georgia. Is there any chance Georgia's out? No. Not with not with the landscape. I, I think they're still in. Okay. And I think you might put them both in. Yeah, I think they both I think they both get to get in. Yeah. And I think that that is very dumb with the way I, I, the way the conference actually looks this season and the contrast in where they land in the rankings. Um, well, why don't we save, why don't we build a little drama here? Save the rest of the mailbag for our preview. The most, the rest of them are mostly about the games we have looking forward. We know we have a big one to talk about with Michigan and Ohio State next week. We've been waiting for it all year. We're going to be sure to give a great episode. We'll have people on from both sides. We'll try and really dive into that game, make some picks. We'll talk a little bit about the rest of the games in college football. But, man, I'm already tachycardic waiting for that next game. Yeah, the the anticipation is definitely palpable. Um, It's going to be uh, a great game. Quick reminder to anyone, thank you, Christian, for writing in. I think this really helps us um, kind of gauge how everyone's feeling and, you know, check, obviously, our bias. So if anyone wants to write in, that's firstandinchespod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at uh, firstandinches. So uh, if you guys want to write Twitter, in. Twitter, that's going to be the number one ST. 
A-N-D-I-N-C-H-E-S. So find us on there. We'll be sure to get back to your messages or talk about them on the next episode. Yep. Uh, And once again, we are sponsored by Milwaukee Tool. Nothing but heavy duty. Nothing but heavy duty. All right, Patrick. Thank you for a great recap. uh, And I will see you in a couple days to look ahead to the game. Oh, I'm going to see you real soon, Kev. And I can't wait. Go Blue Baby.